This is the EWN Radio Network. Welcome to On the Record with your host, Astrum Lux Lucis. All right, welcome to another episode of On the Record. Today we have in-house with us Eileen Hoter. And Eileen, welcome. Thank you so much. So give us your uh, 30-second elevator pitch. Tell us in 30 seconds who you are, what you do. (laughs) No pressure. Well, I've been in the film industry for... A very long time. Uh, I do almost everything, but lately I've been working as a production manager and line producer. I also direct documentaries. I tend to work on documentaries that have social impact and uh, love what I do and uh, have been working in this industry all my life. Awesome. So have you always wanted to be in this industry? How did you get started? Well, I, I was thinking about that. How did I get started? And I, when I graduated from high school, I'd been doing photography for many years and had a dark room and all of that. And so I thought, well, I'm going to be a photographer. So I went to, you know, college to go study photography. But you needed Chemistry 11, of which I didn't have. So they wanted me to go back to school and get Chemistry 11. And I thought, well, no, that's not what I want to do. So then I thought, well, I could be a journalist. So I applied for journalism at the college, and I got uh, – disqualified or I didn't get in because my typing wasn't fast enough, which turned out to be a blessing in disguise later on. So then I finally went to university, took my first year of arts, and then I started, uh, I got a film class and I was really interested in that and uh, had to make a little film, so I did so and got into the film program. Went through the film program, got my master's in fine arts and film production, and then started working and have been working ever since. Wow. Now, where, where, where did you start working at? Did you go to L.A. or to one of the big no, entertainment actually, capitals? My, my first job was here in Vancouver at the National Film Board. My second job. My first job was with um, a TV series that was running here that was really the basic training ground for everybody in the Vancouver film community, and that was on the Beachcombers. And from there, I then went and worked for the National Film Board, working both as a uh, sound editor and doing some directing on some documentaries with the National Film Board. I've worked mostly, well, my entire life as a Canadian in Canada uh, in the film industry on many American films, though, because we have a lot of American films that come up here and shoot. So what did you like? What was it about film that really had you go, yeah, this is really where I want to go with with my life? Well, two things. First of all, I mean, I just loved the idea of, of telling stories and being able to do that in film was, fantastic. I also realized, I guess, at a young age that I'm not going to be able to do a traditional job in that sense. Like in the film industry, you're out of a job every three, four months because the film finishes and then you have to find another one. And I found that lifestyle worked very well for me because then I could go traveling or I could do something in between. And as long as you learn how to manage your money, it's for me, it was a much more exciting life than than doing a nine-to-five, which I don't think I've ever really done, nor would I be able to, I don't think. In production management, that helps you with learning how to manage your money so that you could travel in between. 
Yeah, I've always been very good at managing money. As a matter of fact, I've given courses to some of the women here. With, I'm with Vancouver Women in Film, and I'm currently the president of International Women in Film. But I used to give some courses here in Vancouver for filmmakers on money and, and working your money and managing your money because, again, when you, you don't know where your next job is, you need to be aware of your, your income and, and how you're going to make all of that work. And as long as you're aware of it and, you know, make sure that that's part of your, your lifestyle, then, then it's workable. How does it, so when you're, tra- you know, you're in between jobs, um, do you ever have moments where you're like, you know, there's no work coming in and you kind of get panicky? And what do you do to find work when you're kind of in between? Well, I, I mean, I try to be open to nearly everything that comes along. I find in November of every year, I kind of take a week off and, and kind of decide what I'm going to do in the next year and therefore how much money I'm going to need to do that. That's one of my goals because then when the projects come along, some of them may not be the most interesting or something I really want to do. However, if I want to go to Europe for the summer or something, then this job is perfect because it'll take me from January till April. The money is good. It's not a topic I particularly enjoy, but but it weighs itself out. So I always kind of in November look at what I need to do for the next year, kind of how I run my life. Because as I say, yes, I, I, you do have dry spells, but then you do other things. I work as a coach. Um, you know, I do all sorts of things, you know, so that I, I very rarely sit at home and say, oh, no, you know, what am I going to do today? <laughs> well, that's probably a good thing for yourself, sure. Yeah. yeah. You have to keep yourself flexible in this industry. If you get too narrowed, then you are sitting at home waiting for the next job. But if you keep yourself, I mean, I do workshops, I do coaching sessions, I work with people in the arts starting new businesses. Um, You know, so I I keep myself busy. I used to run the Vancouver Film School here in Vancouver. Um, I did that. You know, so I, I keep myself open and open to new experiences and and also learning how to take a an idea and turning that into work. You know, as I say, what are your skills and, and turning that into another set of uh, stream of income. What are some passion projects that you've worked on? Well, in the documentary field, I, which I absolutely love, although the money in documentary is not that great in general, but I've done a, I did a film on eating disorders, on anorexia and bulimia. Hmm. I also did... Uh, as a production manager and line producer, worked on a film where it was for judges, and we spent six weeks in all the prisons across Canada um, looking at what happens actually happens in the prison system. And, you know, there are many judges who send people to prison, but they've never actually been to a prison, so they don't really know where they're sending somebody. So that was a really interesting project. And, I mean, as I say, documentaries for me are very exciting because you're always invited into a new world, into a place that, you, I mean, you may never be able to go to unless you happen to be working on a project that, that gives you that invitation into that world. Did you have mentors as you were going along that people you looked up to that kind of guided you into your different aspects to bring in some money? You know, I was very lucky, or my my passion, you know, I got involved with women in film, for instance, in Vancouver at a very young, when it had just started, it was, you know, it was brand new, and we just started Women in Film Vancouver. 
And there was a Women in Film Montreal and a Women in Film LA and a Women in Film Toronto. And I got to meet some great connections. And truly, you know, when I think of my first, I did a series on uh, women in the arts in Canada. I did 450 women artists all across Canada. I did 57 episodes for what our channel is called W, but it was Women's Television Network. Uh, you've got the equivalent in the States. Mm-hmm. And that opportunity came to me through working and volunteering with a woman uh, from Toronto who we had worked together on a couple of projects. We had put some conferences together. She had never, ever even seen any of my work, but we had worked together and volunteered together on many projects. And so when she needed a producer in Vancouver, it was such a likely choice that she phoned me up, not having seen my work, but knowing that I could take on the job the way I handled the job, the creativity I brought to a job, that I would be able to do it. And I did, as I say, I worked almost three years on that series, and we did uh, 57 episodes. Wow. Nice. That was fantastic, too. I got to meet artists from all over Canada, anything from a tattoo artist to a concert pianist. Wow, that's great. So how long did it take you from graduating university to actually having your, quote-unquote, your first big break? Well, it's interesting because I finished university and then I was kind of getting my master's and I was also working um, um, as a security guard. And the reason I was doing that was because when I started sound editing, everybody saw me as a sound editor and it was very hard to break out of that mold because that's what they saw me and I wanted to be a director, but everybody saw me as a sound editor. So I had to almost step away from being a sound editor, make some money elsewhere, and start working as a director and, and working for very little money or for next to nothing, helping my, you know, just to get my directing credits together. Mm-hmm. And then from there, you know, it was just meeting somebody um, who needed a director for a series on uh, new learning techniques in schools. And I traveled all across uh, northern BC here in, in Vancouver, from Vancouver up north, doing a series of documentaries and directing documentaries on on new learning skills in schools. And that kind of then established me as a director um, because I had done so many of those. And then I directed the series on Women in the Arts, and uh, then I got into the Director's Guild based on that series because you needed a certain amount of hours as a director before you could get into the Director's Guild here in in Canada. I'm sure it's the same in the States. And once you're in, then, then it's up to you to figure out what you're going to do with that and how you're going to move around with, with you know, being in that union. So what did you do? What was your next step there? Well, I started, um, it's very difficult, believe it or not, to get a director's job because most of the films that are shot here in Vancouver are from the States. So they come with their own director. Hmm. So I started working um, as a production manager and a line producer um, which is basically working with the producers and managing the show once it comes into Canada. So I would work on a film uh, basically from the budget side all the way through to a post. Um, I'd quite often take on some post work as well. And, and we would actually work the film and make sure that we had the crew and the locations and the budget was on, on track and running the show and making sure everybody got on set and everything was working. And that's what I've been doing. And 
you know, for most of my career, I would say, is is running the shows, which is very exciting because you 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 get to see it from inception in that sense to completion, and it's it's a very exciting uh, thing. It, you have to be organized, though. It's very much of a of a, a contractor building a house would be the same as a production manager building the mm. film. Yeah, it seems like a lot of um, very detail-oriented work goes into it, and and you're managing a lot of people and making sure everybody's doing what they're supposed to be doing. Yeah, and it gives you, I mean, the skills that you get along the way, too, is, I mean, you are working with, with a lot of people and under high stress, and so it's, for me, it's a matter of, of keeping the crew happy and you know, even though maybe the money isn't great, but there's lots of ways to keep people feeling happy and and wanted, and um, you know that they're they're contributing, and therefore they they their work improves, or people will work if they if they're being appreciated. And so mm. that to me is a big part of the job is to make sure that people feel appreciated in their in their position, um, and making sure that everybody kind of gets along even under stressful situations, and we create a great project. What are some of the techniques that you use to get people feeling appreciated and, and feeling good and all that? One of the things I do is, I find I do, is, is I am in the trenches myself. I am usually the first person on set. Maybe uh, uh, the electricians are there, you know, hooking up the electrical and maybe caterings are setting up the breakfast. But I am there from the bitter beginning to the bitter end. Um, in that respect. I'm there so that people, it's not like I just wander on set at 11 o'clock after everybody's been working hard. I'm there. I'm making sure that we're all getting this done. And then it's, it's little things, like it's not even an expense. I always make sure in my budget I have a little treat budget. And it's sometimes just bringing popsicles out to set on a really hot day or getting that to happen. Um, that makes all the difference. It's amazing when you have a crew of you know, 100 people and suddenly root beer popsicles show up on set and everybody turns into a kid again. And it's not a big, so it's not a big deal, but it is. It's just a little thing. And I go bring them out myself. You know, I bring out the popsicles. I don't park in, I try to park in crew parking as much as possible and not, you know, like take advantage of just because of who I am parking anywhere I want. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I try to make the crew feel like we're all doing this. And that, to me, is the most exciting thing when, you know, one of the guys comes up to you and says, oh, by the way, we don't need this extra truck. You know, we can get by with this. So we're saving money by returning the truck early. Like, mm. they don't need to really say that, but they do if they like you and if they feel that they're part of the team and that we're all working together to get the project finished. And I love that, you know, kind of feeling of, of kind of we're all a team. And mm-hmm. I think that's a really important thing to impart because um, sometimes in the film industry it's it's very kind of hierarchical and it's very um, there's a hierarchy and it's like I'm the boss you know and, and I, I don't like to work that way I, I like to work as one big family. Yeah, yeah, it's very important. I have a friend who has a quote: "Teamwork makes the dream work." <laughs> that's a very good quote. I truly, and it doesn't take it takes like film. If you can't work with people, then film is probably not the industry to go into. You know, when I used to run the Vancouver Film School, I used to uh, do a thing for the students. And if they got a certain grade, and if they participated, and then at the end of the end of the term, when they were finishing their projects, they were allowed to do their own project. So maybe they didn't get to direct. As long as they could find four other students in their class to come on board with them. 
Now, a class of 25, that doesn't sound so difficult to find poor people who are willing to work with you for free, you know, on this little project. But if mm. you've been arrogant and, and, you know, not working on anybody else's project, then suddenly you can't find four people who are willing to work, you know, three weekends in a row, you know, 12, 14-hour days for you because you haven't given to them. And so it was a very interesting lesson for these, you know, like if you wanted to direct, all you had to do is get certain grades and find four other people who would work with you out of a class of 25. You think that would not be so difficult, but if you've really mm. not nurtured your colleagues and your co-students along the way and help them on their films, at the end of the day, you can't find four people who are willing to work with you. So yeah. that was a really good learning experience, I think, for, for some of the students. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. I'm looking for a certain kind of woman, and I think you know her. She's an entrepreneur that is highly connected, successful, significant in her own industry, and considered the go-to woman in her community. She's received so much from so many women in business, she's ready to give back to others on their journey, lifting as she climbs. Hi, this is Sandra Yancey, and I'm the founder and CEO of eWomen Network. I'm looking to connect with the woman I've just described who lives in your community so that we might have a conversation about how eWomen Network's proven success system can provide her a platform to elevate her success and ability to support women in business. Our international community of managing directors are influencing the speed of success for women in business around the world. If that sounds like something that you want to be part of or know someone we should talk with, send an email to managingdirector at eWomenNetwork.com. That's managingdirector at eWomenNetwork.com. And let's start the conversation. And we're back on the record. You seem to be very connected to uh, tuning into people and sort of being able to serve them in a way that's going to make them shine. Um, do you do any personal development work in that area? I mean, how did you kind of come to get into that whole mindset and way of being? Well, I, I did take a, a coaching course, and I work in life skills and business coaching. And I worked for quite a few years um, with a program here in Vancouver that helps people who are starting their own business. And basically, uh, they have to, I help them, you know, work on their business plan, and I help them, you know, actually go for loans or, or whatever they need. And I work mostly with artists because artists in general have a reputation of not being that good with money or not being that, you know, they want to just do their artwork, but how do they make turn that into a living was mm -hmm. the trick. And so I would work with, you know, people who were trying to start a business and trying to figure out how they could actually turn their, their passion or their creativity and make a living off of it. And that was always a great challenge. And, and part of it was actually motivating that individual into thinking, you know, that money isn't a bad thing. It'll help me, you know, take care of me while I get to do what I want to do. And so it's just kind of rearranging their thinking because most artists are very, very um, practical. They actually have great, you know, skills because they're they're quite often living with very little money in in general, and therefore they're they're used to making you know working crazy hours and crazy days, and it was sometimes easier working with them than somebody who had worked for a big corporation that was downsizing, 
and was expecting to get a coffee break at 10.15 and an hour lunch and finishing <laughs> at 4 or 5. And it's like, we don't finish at 4 or 5. You finish when you're finished. You know, like it was a, a whole different mindset. So it was quite a, a interesting. And it's, I quite, I mean, I still coach and I still work with filmmakers here in town who are starting projects or just, it's a very isolated business sometimes. And you just need somebody to bounce things off of once in a while. What do you find are some ways that people can monetize art these days? Like, you know, besides like the kind of generic, you know, get your Facebook up and your Twitters, you know, and, and all that. Like, what's some real significant ways that people are able to monetize their art? Well, I think they first of all have to find out what it is that their, what their art form is or what they're doing and how they can make that work in in, in respect in our society. An example was one of my um, women I worked with, she was making um, inlaid tables, you know, like mosaic tables. Mm-hmm. Now, for the amount of money it took for her and time to make one table, they were so expensive that the general person would not buy it because it was too expensive, you know, it was too much work and, and not many people would pay that kind of money for a little coffee table. Mm-hmm. So what we did is, and she loved to make those, so what we did is we looked at her mosaic skills and her tiling skills, and we started looking, there's a lot of building going in in Vancouver right now, and we started looking at mosaic backsplashes for kitchen. Now that is not perhaps exactly what she wanted to do when she started her career, mm-hmm. but it is still in the same field. She was able to make some unbelievably creative backsplashes for kitchens, but she was also able to work in her field and make enough money so that she could actually make, you know, make these little tables and give them away if she wanted to because she had a good steady income within her, within her field. Um, so it's, it's actually opening, you know, like opening up the box and, and looking at things maybe slightly differently and looking at you know, where in your in your neighborhood or, you know, wherever. Now with the Internet, you can look all over the world. But what the niche is and where you can actually access uh, work and tie that in with your art. Do you find that in in working with artists like that, that they have an initial kind of resistant reaction where it's like, well, I, I'm not going to do that. I'm This is my art here and this is what I do and... And so do you kind of have to get them around that whole idea of, you know, yes, you want to, let's use this woman, build the table, but the table's not putting, you know, uh, a payment in your, (laughs) yeah, food on the table. So, you know, over here you can make the backsplash. It, It may not be the table, but it's still you're using your art versus, you know, going and saying, would you like fries for that to put food on the table, you know? So do you have to kind of work around that whole mindset with artists that you work with? Yeah, I think you need to, like with anything else, you need to kind of break down the the kind of barrier that, you know, it's not all about money, but you need money. There's no question about it. To live in Vancouver, you need a lot of money. Maybe in other towns you don't. So you need to be choosing, you know, what your lifestyle is. And if you need money, which most people do, you mm-hmm. need to figure out how to make it and, and how to tie that in with what you love to do. Other people, you know, I suggest that they work as a security guard at night, you know, get their, their money there so that they're freed up to do their work. Another guy had a, was a musician, 
And what we did with him is I worked with him, and he started, he had a studio, right? Well, he doesn't use it 24-7. He only used it, you know, maybe an eighth of the potential of that studio. So what we did with him, and he'd pick one day a week, because he didn't want to take away from his work, but in one day a week, he would book his studio. He'd spend the whole day playing administrator, book the studio for other people, and he would make enough to pay for the rent for the studio, also make him a little bit of money, so then he could do his music in a sense without the pressure of having to do that for money right away. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's just looking outside of the box to me. And money is there. You just need to figure out how it's going to work for you and what you're going to do the same way as I did it in film. You know, there were films I worked on that I didn't really like, but my goal was to build a bed and breakfast in Mexico, so I needed money. So, you know, you just you just figure out what you want and how you're going to get it. And I truly, truly believe that if you put it out there in the universe, it will come. If you do not put anything out there, then how in the world is it going to come to you? I made these business cards for my bed and breakfast. I made them. T- I made them eight years in advance when I started. When I bought the property, I made the business card right away. I designed it. I designed the logo. I did everything. I was giving out business cards before the place. It was just sand. But you still have to have that that goal or that that vision if you want things to come to you. And I think, you know, people today, you know, I really, well, maybe because I live in such an out-of-the-box kind of world in the sense that I've, you know, I've never worried about being fired because I'm fired all the time or let go (laughs) because that's my life, right? So Mm -hmm. I don't have that fear of, oh, my God, I'm going to lose this job. Um, More difficult for me is trying to find the balance between working and, and family and life and, you know, and that because... Sometimes you're working 12 hours a day, six days a week, seven days a week. Some You just don't see anybody. And so that's more difficult for me than worrying if I'm going to get another job. What are some things you do to try and maintain that balance between life and career and family, friends, and all that? Well, I guess it's kind of, I don't know, it is my background. I, I must have been born as a production manager in a little way because what I do is when I do have time off or now like when I come to Vancouver and I've been in Mexico is, is I phone, I organize people. I organize my friends. I say, <laughs> okay, are you free brunch? And even my friend, this friend of mine said the other day, I phoned her and said, do you want to go to a movie tonight? And she phoned me back about two hours later and said, I realize it's two hours. You probably found something else to do, but I am free for a movie. <laughs> you know, like, like I, I do that. I make an effort to, to organize my friends or to organize going out or, you know, my, you know even, even with my husband, like, I could be busy every single day. He's much of a much calmer and much quieter and doesn't like going out all the time. So I try to make sure that, I have a weekend where I plan nothing. It's his weekend. We may do nothing. It's yeah. hard for me. Like, not to have it all planned <laughs> to the, every detail. But, but I just say, okay, this weekend we have no plans. And usually by the Sunday afternoon, if nothing's happened, I'll plan something or go out or do something because I'll, I'll be going stir crazy. <laughs> <laughs> uh, now, what about self-care for yourself? What do you do there? I try to play tennis, but that's getting more. I walk a lot. I walk, and I'm also, as I say, a photographer, and I photograph. Every morning, people look forward to me. I send them their good morning email. I walk very early in the morning, and I take flowers around the neighborhood so you can see the seasons going by. Or 
Um, and I love doing that. I just love, you know, that I can go out every, and I love now that we've got digital and I can take 400 photos and don't have to care about them. And I photograph all the time. So I do a lot of walking. I do a lot of, um, you know, activity in that respect, tennis. Um, I'm not great at anything, but I do everything, so to speak. Like I go swimming with my friends, and as I say, I play, try to play tennis a couple of times a week if I can. Um, because yeah, to me there is a balance of, of also keeping myself fit and keeping. And I find when I'm photographing, I I don't take my brain with me in that sense. So I'm not thinking about work or or if there's going to be a problem with this budget or you know, what do I have to do or we're dealing with some lawyer and, you know, like there's a lot of kind of internal pressure. You go to bed sometimes thinking about it. So I just do my photographs and go for a walk and I, I try to get some alone time too because I find I'm with people and with a lot of, you know, people and wanting things, wanting, wanting, wanting. So sometimes it's good just to go and uh, spend the, you know, and I usually do it. I love early morning because there's nobody around. The phone doesn't ring. <laughs> quiet and you can really be by yourself it's kind of nice I also do you know I, I, I work a lot with women I have to admit I, I really enjoy um, mentoring and working with women and for years I've done a thing called Viva La Diva where I take women to Mexico because I was getting so sick and tired of being on the plane flying back and forth and there'd be all these men and I'd say where are your wives and, they'd, and you know, what are you doing and they'd be on a golf weekend or a fishing weekend and I'd say where are your wives or girlfriends well that's their <laughs> vacation they're at home without me you know and it was like so bizarre so what I started to do is book uh, retreats for women who we would go away we'd go to Mexico we'd do some art we'd do a photography class uh, walks on the beach, a little bit of shopping, but not much, but really more, you know, for women who wanted to get away, their husband might not want to go, they didn't have a friend who was available at a time, they didn't want to go on some tour, but they didn't want to kind of be totally by themselves. So I take women down to Mexico, and, you know, sometimes they were so burnt out from their job that they just wanted to kind of sit all day in the hammock, but at night they wanted to join us and, you know, have a cocktail and have dinner so that they weren't eating by themselves. And I found that really interesting because everybody would say to me, well, what happens if we don't get along? All the women got along because they were all coming together totally neutral. They weren't somebody's wife or somebody's husband, you know, somebody's mother or they were just a bunch of women and it worked really, really well. That's awesome. How often do you do those? Well, now that I have my own place, I'm, I'm going to start doing it again. I, I, for a while there, I stopped doing it because it was just too much on top of, you know, my, my building a place and, and working in film. But now I'm going to start again. And, you know, I think what I'm going to start to do, I heard this idea and I thought it was fantastic. I want to do like a, a, a summer camp or a day camp for adults or for women. You know, where you go back, maybe you can't even bring your cell phone or you, and you, you go back to doing, you know, what I mean, everybody went to summer camp, I think, you know, you'd go to summer camp and you'd, you'd do some artwork and you do, we might make candles in the sand and walks on the beach and, and fire at, on the beach and roasting marshmallows and just, you know, four or five women and just getting away to not going shopping, not, not, you know, doing anything like that so much is just getting back to nature and getting back to being a kid. Mm-hmm. Kid activities. Yeah. We'll have to have mm-hmm. a nap in the afternoon. <laughs> <laughs> and cookies and milk when you wake up. <laughs> cookies and milk, exactly. 
That's awesome. I thought that would be um, a really good idea because everybody's getting so stressed in their lives, I find, and they forget, you know, what it was like just to be a kid and do kind of crazy things. Well, blow bubbles and, I don't know, mm-hmm. just do things that you used to do <laughs> as a kid and not worry so much about, I don't know, the the, the stresses of your mortgage or whatever. I must mm-hmm. admit, I used to also, when I did these workshops and took women away, mm-hmm. I'd have them talk on a topic and then I'd actually pay them for that so they could write that week off. Mm. I'm very yeah, business. I, money. Is, I'm always trying to figure out an angle so it's not taking away from their vacation time, but they're actually getting paid to give me a talk or to give all of us a talk on their their topic, and then uh, and then they write the project off. They write the week off. Yeah, that's brilliant. That's great. Yeah, there's yeah. lots of interesting. And another really interesting thing, and I know this isn't about film necessarily, but I, I think. You know, when you work, you know, I do so many wild, crazy things. Is that there'd be so many women who said, "Well, I have nothing to offer. Like, I don't." And I'd say, "Oh, give give yourself a week. Think about it. Come back to me in a week." And it was amazing. Well, you know, I do, I do this. I do watercolors. Well, yes. Why don't you give us a little demonstration of watercolors? I'm sure you know, like, like everybody has a talent. They just don't necessarily see it, or they haven't expressed it, or they haven't owned they're taking ownership of their talents. Mm, yeah. And I think that's too, because anything on the creative side is sort of not really valued, you know, yes. it seems to be in, in this society that we have that anything with the arts and music and stuff, it's not really a value, not monetary value, you know, so people don't put a, a big emphasis on it. Well, they take the arts for granted, very much so. I mean, there's so much more money. I'm sure it's in the States, too, but there's so much more money in Canada for any kind of sports activities than there are for the arts. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I yeah. used to be on the council here for the BC Festival of the Arts, and the, the our, you know, or whoever was in charge would come and do the opening speech and quite often would say something like, oh, and by the way, the hockey score is blah, 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 in their opening <laughs> speech on the arts and I used to get so upset because it was like who cares I don't care you're you're opening the arts you don't need to to give us the sports highlight well people do appreciate art and I mean film you know is is for me it's it's I'm working in the arts um the films I work on now, I mean, they're, they're just, they're not art films, so to speak. I personally much prefer to work on independence, but again, at some point, and this is what I say, you kind of have to balance the two um, or balance them in the sense that I know how much money I need to make, and if you can work your life so that you can get some passive income coming in, then, then you can work on the projects you do like and still be able to go out for dinner at the end of the night. So it's really mm-hmm. a trick of, but if you don't actually, like again, if you don't put out to the universe what it is you want, chances are it's not going to come to you. And then you have to be open to the opportunities because sometimes opportunities come to you and you may not see it, but you know you need to explore those, those, those things that happen. But if you don't put it out that this is what you want, chances are it's just going to pass you by because you don't even know what you're looking for. Speaking on that, what what are some things that you do to create your vision and your your benchmarks and, and action steps? Well, I, I am very treat-oriented. 
Um, because I work by myself a lot, like in pre-production or in, in any project that I'm putting together, you, you put in a lot of hours by yourself. And I use, you know, with time management, if I'm working at home all day, I have to give myself benchmarks just even for that day. You know, if, if I get this done by noon, then I'm going to go play tennis. Or, okay, so I have to have it finished by noon because I really want to go play tennis or go for a walk <laughs> or meet a friend for coffee or whatever. I, I need, and I know that, I mean, I've learned over the years, my tolerance is about four hours of good mm -hmm. steady work. And then I need to just, even just go for a walk and get a coffee or something. And the other mm -hmm. thing I've learned about myself, and I think everybody needs to understand their their work modes, but four to six is the worst time for me. It is my low level. I, I can pick up after that, but I would never in my life book an important, you know, high power. Now, mind you, we're in a time zone here, but a high powered meeting between those hours because. I'm not at my sharpest at that point, and I know that. So you need to know, and I get up early, and I get so much work done that by 10 o'clock sometimes I'm, I'm ready to go, you know, for a walk or a swim or, or have coffee with a friend or whatever because I've actually pushed myself to get whatever this chunk was finished because um, I know I'm meeting somebody for coffee or whatever. And then the benchmarks for life or for where I wanted to be is 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 obviously a much bigger scale, but I mean, I, you you need to give yourself, as far as I'm concerned, realistic goals. Like, you know, to say, okay, I'm going to be a millionaire tomorrow, is not particularly realistic, and you're going to probably fail unless you win mm -hmm. the lotto, mm -hmm. and therefore you're you're setting yourself up for failure in that sense. You need to set kind of realistic goals, but if you don't have those goals, you're not going to get there either. So. To me, I wanted to have a lifestyle that allowed me to travel. That's very important to me, and and have the freedom to travel. Um, now, you know that we have the bed and breakfast in Mexico. I live on a beach, you know, watching dolphins and whales. And basically, because I have a small bed and breakfast, it brings in enough income to keep that place. It doesn't have to make a million dollars, but it runs itself. Everything kind of has to run itself. Mm -hmm. And then I have the flexibility that when I come back to Vancouver, I can, in the film industry, you can make a lot of money in a very short period of time. You're working long, long hours, but you're making good money in a short period of time, which I like. So I can come up for six or eight weeks, make a big chunk, and then go back down and live a much quieter life on the beach in Mexico. So it, it has its benefits both sides. Did you always kind of have that vision, like from an early age, like you knew early on, I want to travel and um, I want to sort of live this this adult more kid life. life. I mean, <laughs> you're more you're you're very like in touch with your kid, your inner kid. You know, you're like, okay, I'm gonna like go to school from eight to twelve, and then I'm gonna play for the rest of the day. You know, it's very um, yeah. very well, fun creation. I think what I, I did know from an early age was that I I could just sit in a job where I did the same thing every single day without going totally crazy. And I, I've always had different jobs. I've been working since I was 14 years old, uh, doing all sorts of things. And I also kind of realized in my later teens, you know, early, early uh 
20s and 30s that I like to build things. Like I like to create things. Once they're cre- And that's why film works so wonderfully because you create it, it's finished, and then you move on. I'm not working on the same film for 20 years. That would kill me probably too. It's like you... <laughs> You've got all these new experiences. You know, you're, this last thing I just did, we had to get caterpillars. As a matter of fact, I've just let them go. They've turned into monarch butterflies. My oh, first wow. one just flew away. Um, but the, another film I did, we did here in June in Vancouver, and it was a Christmas story, and we had to get reindeer. Well, I love that kind of aspect. Like, where am I going to get reindeer? All the reindeer in Toronto were gone. We actually brought them in from the States, you know. Like, but oh, it, wow. it's just... It's crazy, and then in, in eight till if I had to look for reindeer every day for the next twenty two years, I'd go crazy. <laughs> but but yeah. it's just that it's always a challenge and it's always new. So I learned, I think, at a younger age that 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 is very good for me. I truly, you know, feel that there are different personalities. And, that, and when I used to teach and run the Vancouver Film School, you know, I talked to people about if you need security in your life. Like, you know, you need to know where you are every kind of morning. And then then the film industry may not be for you because you need to have a bit more flexibility and and bounce, you know, and and it's not for everybody. And, uh, I mean, there's a lot of people who who want the stability of knowing that they get their paycheck every two weeks and that they, you know, they know that they've got a vacation that they can book you know, eight months in advance because they know they'll have their three weeks off in November, whatever it is, and Mm -hmm. that that works very well for them. I think it's a different, you know, you need to understand your own personality type um, to be able to, to, if you don't, you you could get, you know, hurt and and it could be a horrific experience, I suppose, but um, because it is a challenge and, you know, where does the money come from and, you know, I mean, make sure, like I've always, you know, make sure that when you are working, you're putting some money away. And I don't care what anybody says, oh, I, I'm making so little money, I can't save. You know, when I was a kid, I saved money. Every allowance, half of it went into the bank and a half of it was to be spent. And if you start, you know, you, you have to put money away for the rainy day or for your trip or for whatever. I, I really get worried when I see kids today you know, living off of credit cards that they've got at such an early age and not understanding, you know, I think, you know, I mean, quite frankly, they shouldn't get credit cards. They should have cash. So when that cash is gone suddenly on Tuesday, they realize they have to go till Saturday without any money. You know, like they need to understand that versus just putting it all on the credit card and thinking it's going to take care of itself somehow. Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of scary to think that that's kind of the mindset these days. Well, having done a film on eating disorders and the kind of control thing, I mean, I really see what's scaring me right now here in Vancouver anyways is that, you know, young women, to buy a house in Vancouver now is is very, very difficult, nearly impossible for just, I mean, even on two incomes. But so it's like I see these women saying, okay, I'm not going to buy a house, but I'll buy a Gucci bag. And it's like there's a – and I was just talking to a woman today. uh, She's going back to school, and she said, you know, she's going to go to business. And she said, but I have to, you know, I have to look the role. And I said, you don't need to buy a Gucci bag. Nobody's going to judge you (laughs) that you don't have a Gucci bag. Trust me, I don't have a Gucci bag. I go to all sorts of – I go to the Cannes Film Festival. I go all sorts of places all over the world. Nobody comments, oh, look at Eileen. She doesn't have a Gucci bag. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) 
you can survive the world without a Gucci bag. <laughs> but it's, it's scary because they are so marketed into getting the labels and showing the labels. Let's kind of talk about that a little bit because it's, that's sort of in your vein or in your industry. Um, talk about the, the, um, the programming that, that occurs within the TV and film world. What do you think well, about that? I don't know. I just, I mean, I haven't done any research on it. I just went and saw, uh, I, I don't know if I'm allowed to talk about films. I guess I am. Of films that I just, I went and saw Jurassic Park, the new Jurassic Park, and I, I didn't really work for me because I could tell very easily there were two things. All I did was watch the advertisement, like when it said Starbucks or Mercedes or like that was, and I'm wondering how much did they pay to have their name in this movie? Mm. And then the lead female who spent most of the movie running away from dinosaurs in high heel shoes. <laughs> it goes right up the wall that she and then then of course for the rest of the movie I'm watching it to see her feet to see because she's definitely not running. I mean they technically shot the film so that her feet are cut. Her the framing cuts her off at the ankle. She can't see that she's got running shoes on, but she's running. In <laughs> High heel, and I have to go watch the film because at the beginning I thought they were like a block kind of a chunk heel, but at the mm-hmm. end she's in stiletto heels. Oh gee! <laughs> and but the advertising in that film for uh, Samsung, Mercedes, Starbucks—I'm um, trying to—I mean, it was to me, and maybe because I work in this industry, I see it. Maybe other people, it's more subliminal, but mm. it was incredibly impaired and even my girlfriend who I went to the movie with she said like I wonder how much they paid so she was noticing the advertising hmm wow you know and then you get the whole you know preying on um the kind of I mean the the you know what it is well I don't know if you saw there was a Barbie has just come out with a uh, a Barbie doll that's a director <laughs> and she's okay. wearing a little a mini skirt, and she still, I think she's got some kind of weird flats, but she still has her high heel foot. And the person who wrote the article said, and look, here's Barbie as a director, and she still can't stand on her own. <laughs> you know, the way that feet are made. And she's anorexic uh-huh. like everything else, and she's in a little yeah. cashmere sweater and a little black skirt, and she's the director. And it's like, what next, you know? I mean, I, I suppose they're making her a director instead of a, you know, what it used to be. I don't know what a school teacher or whatever, whatever kind of job they tried to give a Barbie doll. But it's, (laughs) it's, it's still Barbie dressed as a director. It's not. And I mean, if you go and watch Jurassic Park, go watch the woman who's running throughout being chased by all these dinosaurs. She runs really well. I mean, she, she plays a powerful runner, but she's in high heel friggin' shoes. (laughs) I don't know. It, it, uh, it, and, and I mean, it's just every, I mean, you know, the reason I'm with women in film is because for so many years, you know, there's been not enough women in the film industry and not enough women's films being made. And I can usually tell if a film's been made by a woman or not by a director, female director, just because of little nuances that have been put in the film that, that and I nearly can, you know, I can just know that this is this is a film done by a female just because of the nuances but there's still it's still you know so male dominated in so many ways and and then you get this whole kind of marketing um, throughout and how women 
are portrayed and and you know when you're getting young women who are supposed to be look made to look a little older so they can play the 30 year old wife to the 50 year old man kind of thing you know like I mean, there's some great articles right now that are out, you know, from uh, Merle Streep and Gina Davis is a Gina Davis center on women in, in the film industry. And it's there's so many places that you can kind of re- and things are changing, but it's it's hard. And then you get, you know, the film industry and commercials and all of this sell and hype product and, and what you should wear and what you should eat and what you should look like. And uh it's it's a hard thing to look up to or try to you know compare yourself to for young women and and I don't think that's yeah. getting easier I, I I think it's still very very apparent yeah and I think it's getting harder too because so many people are getting away from eating real food it's really interesting because I spend you know seven months in Mexico and six months or five months up here or whatever I lose weight immediately when I go to Mexico only because I'm eating food that's not processed mm-hmm. um, you know we live where we stay is a small village you're buying fresh food you're making you know the guacamole or make you're buying you're not buying it you're making it you're buying tortillas that are just been made that morning you're, you're not eating there is no McDonald's in our town there's no Starbucks there's nothing like that yeah. and so you're eating um, a much more wholesome natural diet then when you come back home it's yeah. just a whole different lifestyle and and i think uh you know who knows i may end up uh i i mean this year that my second year down there you know i'm close to guadalajara maybe i'll go and and do a course or teach some film i was going to do something when i was teaching here before at the the university in guadalajara as a big film program huh. and uh, maybe i'll do something there get these film students you know some cross-cultural stuff happening between Canada and, uh, and and Mexico. Mexico is a big, strong film population, and, and some great directors are coming out of Mexico and some great films. Um, I'd like to get a little bit more involved in the Mexican film scene, too. Wow, yeah, that'd be great. And with all you've got going and stuff you can put together, I, I can definitely see that happening for you. Yeah. yeah, well, I think it's just, you know, as I say, I'm not one to sit around under any circumstance and so if I can you know organize you know some kind of maybe I'll do it in the town we're in and organize the kids to make their own films because now it's so easy right everybody mm-hmm. with a cell phone can make their own movie yeah tell their yeah. own story mm-hmm. yeah and then put it on YouTube I mean it's it's amazing what we can do now and and what kids can do and, and learn how to be creative without it being so expensive that it's it's you know totally out of reach yeah yeah so out of your whole life here what do you think the hardest lesson has been that you've had to learn so far and how has that shaped your life and your vision for your life my hardest lesson um i don't know if i've had i mean i i you know i've i've not a lesson so much, but a hard, you know, that was quite hard in my life. Um, mm-hmm. I luckily took off time from work um, because I knew my father wasn't going to last that long. And he, I finished work. I just kind of quit. Or, I finished the one of the six series, and I finished after four in November. And then my father passed away that February, so I was really glad I did that. 
um, is it, to me it's a it, it's trying to find balance and you know within yourself uh, with your friends and family and life is short I mean the reason we built Mexico like I just said we're going to do this is uh, three of my girlfriends ended up um, getting in 2013 breast cancer mm. and it's like it, you know, these were all, you know, they say one out of three, and suddenly I had three friends with breast cancer. They've all done very well. They've all survived. But it's like, what are we waiting for? This is this is not, you know, that whole thing. This isn't a dress rehearsal. This is your life. Mm-hmm. And so I tend to think, oh, well, no, I've got to work more. I've got to make more money. I've got to do this. And to me, it's like to, to make sure you're balancing. And, you know, when you say getting back to your childhood, yeah, you need to book time for yourself um, because, that's it. This is it. And, you know, I, I look at right now when I'm traveling, I do trips that are like we went to the Galapagos Islands and places where, because, you know, when I'm 80, I'm probably not going to be crawling in and out of a little dinghy, you know, so I'm trying <laughs> to do more of the adventuresome stuff right now. I don't know. Um, maybe I will be climbing out of a dinghy when I'm 80. But I think it's, it's you know, and it is important. Um, I, for instance, if I can give any advice to anybody, and a lot of my friends do this, I celebrate the 27th of every month. That's my favorite number. It's not my birthday. It's just my favorite number. And on the 27th of every month, I treat myself. I might buy flowers. I don't need flowers, but I'm going to buy myself flowers. I might go for a pedicure. I might have a triple caramel latte, even though I'm not supposed to have that. It doesn't mean that it's like I'm spending $5 million or it's maybe not spending it. Maybe that I just booked the afternoon off. You know, it's not about money, but it's about stopping and, you know, enjoying Eileen or treating Eileen. Because I find in my industry, too, I'm taking care of everybody. That's, I, you know, that's what I do, making sure everybody's okay and making sure that I forget about myself. So on the 27th, and a lot of my friends will email me now and say oh happy 27th what are you doing today kind of like they know <laughs> that 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 is my day and it, it you know it could just be something small but but it's it's a treat for me whatever that might be that day and it's um it's because birthdays come once a year and that's not often enough you need to treat yourself every month and it has to be just as important as going to the dentist every six months or, or whatever you do once a month, paying your bills. You pay your bills. Don't do it on your favorite day. Pay your bills on a different day. <laughs> on the 27th, treat yourself or whatever day you want to pick. Pick your favorite number and treat yourself. And it should be just as important as, as any other routine that you have in your work life. And take off early from work one day or, or, or don't go in, come in late for, you know, I don't know if that's possible for people with normal jobs, but because, you know, it, it doesn't matter, it doesn't fall on a weekend, but get up an hour earlier and go for a walk that day or, you know, go sit and watch the sunrise or go sit and watch the sunset that day and just appreciate, you know, your surroundings or whatever it is, but be cognizant that this is your day. That's that's my biggest advice to anybody in any career, but definitely when you're working crazy hours and 18-hour days and, you know, trying to keep everything, juggling everything, that you need to stop and, and take make sure you've got your day somewhere in there. Yeah. That's awesome. And any final notes to add on uh, to our listeners? The uh, Any final words of wisdom to add on to that? 
Well, uh, just, you know, I mean, as I say, I'm living my dream. I've got my little bed and breakfast. Am I allowed to tell people where it is? Sure. It's Villa Star of the Sea, and the website's www.villastaroftheSea.com, and it's near Barra de Navidad in, or near Manzanillo, Mexico. And it's Moroccan-Mexican, and if nothing else, go look at the photos because I've built it from scratch, which I've never done before. I've built a two-bedroom B&B on the beach with a bunch of Mexican guys, my crew, and it was a great experience. And uh, so check that out. And just again, my biggest advice is pick your day and celebrate it every month. Don't wait for birthdays. Well, folks, that wraps up another episode of On the Record. Tune in next week. Hi, I'm Sandra Yancey, founder and CEO of eWomen Network. One of my mottos for business owners is, you can't do it alone. Whether you're in the startup stage of your business or you're scaling, you can't grow without relationships to provide support, wisdom, and new customers. E-Women Network is your home to connect with other women entrepreneurs who've been where you are or are experiencing the same challenges. We have chapters across the U.S. and Canada that have monthly events featuring our trademarked process called Accelerated Networking to ensure you get the contacts, resources, and leads you need to grow your business. And once you become a member, you get many benefits, including two one-on-one coaching sessions, unlimited access to our membership database, your own personal profile page, and discounts on products and services with our business partners, such as UPS and American Express Open. Join the eWomen Network community and let us help you live your dream. For details, visit eWomenNetwork.com.